Hello and welcome to this week's edition of The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge TV. Bass Edge Television is on Wild TV in Canada and the Versus Network starting again, hard to believe, but January 2008 all the way through June. My co-host and I, Steve Brigman, we are going to be joining the 2007 WBT Pro Angler Pam Martin-Wells. Steve, that is going to be a fantastic interview. Well, it sure is. I had a chance to meet Pam at the Classic this year, and we, we had a great visit. I, I, our, our listeners going to enjoy that. Well, you know, then in addition, we get to join another WBT angler, whom is Emily Schaefer, and she's going to be sharing thoughts not only on introducing new people into the sport, uh, but also young the younger generation as well. And right after that is always a hit as we go to this week's listener email and then give away some great prizes right here on The Edge. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Oh, look here. I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Woo, look at that song gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. Well, we're glad to be here. Steve, you know, it's kind of one of those uh, first events, I guess, if you will, as we are out on the road, and it's it's nice to travel with you. You know, our good friend Dan, he's probably in the in the tree stand somewhere watching deer go by. Yeah, I, I bet Dan is definitely in the woods, and, uh, you know, we're going to have to be careful and, and make sure we hear the voices when that giveaway comes <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I know I'm he's going to be in the background. He probably sent in 50 <laughs> emails since he's actually not hosting it this uh, week. We're going to listen to that, uh, cam- that uh, him camouflage his voice. But, but no, it, and it is great to be on the road. It's fun to be hanging out with the guys, and it's fun to be getting on the water. Yeah, it is, and, and we have certainly got to have our share of that. Met some great people, of course, you know, um, a little bit later we'll be talking with Pam Martin. Got to spend some time with her boy, Duckett. You know, we had two classic champions right there that we got to meet and, uh, in a short period of time. It's not often that you, that you get to do that. It's fun to hang out with the big leaguers, but uh, they are uh, both fantastic folks, and, and it has been fun. You know, speaking of meeting people, we were having dinner the other night after we just got off the water, and we, we got to meet a great group of guys from the Golden, you know, the Goldenrod Bass Club. And when I think about that and seeing the interaction that was going on amongst them after, it's a two-day event, you know, and they were in there after the first day. But just to see uh, what they were talking about and see their, you know, just their excitement for the sport, because that brings back a lot of memories of how I got introduced into the sport of competitive fishing. Well, yeah, you know, last night at dinner they sat at the table next to us and, and we visited with them quite a bit. But when you looked over there and you heard them kidding and joking and uh, they were pretty couple of pretty funny characters in that group uh it just kind of kind of made me look and say you know that's what a bass club's all about you know uh, there's the competition side there's the fishing side there's the learning side but these guys uh are just uh being together being friends the camaraderie uh the fellowship that 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 really touched a spot in me you know and, and of course emily schaefer whom we're going to be visiting a little bit later in the in the show will We'll talk specifically to opportunities that exist for getting into this sport, you know, recreationally or competitively. Yeah, you're about to get me on my soapbox again because that's just, I think that's not only uh, something we should do, I think it's our responsibility as fishermen to, to introduce uh, 
other folks out there, you know, the, 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 your son or daughter's little friend that doesn't get, get to go, or the guy in the office that you can see it in his eyes. He's listened to your fishing trips. He's listened, but he hasn't been invited. Take him. It's the right thing to do. You know, exactly. I mean, because as, a, as an angler, you know, I was fortunate enough, and I know you were too because you date back to, and I, I don't mean to place an age on you. Let's, <laughs> let's don't date it back you too know, far. Your, your, your roots go back to, to the saltwater. Mine, fortunately... You know, started out on some farm, farm ponds and small streams like that, but it's just key. It's a it's a responsibility that we have to take personally, of which we'll get into more a little bit in detail. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, this is again transitioning into this time of year of where we're at. You know, what about shallow water fishing? Man, you know, <laughs> it's getting fall, and uh, uh, you know, it's it's a great time to catch fish. Obviously, uh, you know, we all you know most anglers know that it's a time of year that. Uh, that fish are, are uh, feeding heavily, trying to get ready for the hard times ahead, trying to get hit, uh, get prepared for winter. But it's also presents for me personally some of just my favorite kinds of fishing: shallow water fishing, top water fishing. It's just fun. Plus, plus it's a comfortable time to be out there. No question. I mean, you know, we've we've been fighting the heat uh, all year. Chances are, you know, some of that is going to be setting out kind of in the deep haunts and. And, and we've spent a lot of time talking about deep fishing and techniques to target them. But, you know, when you consider fall fishing, and, and specifically shallow water fishing, there's just something about, and if you go through really what I would divide it up into three categories, you know, because shallow water fishing isn't just top water. However, top water can provide some extremely exciting days on the water. Well, sure it can. And, uh... The, the the fish the fish are likely to be up shallow you know it's like any other kind of fishing you have to get out there and and uh, you know analyze the situation and find the fish but very often this time of year you're going to find them in shallow water and sometimes in real shallow water well and and, that, and that's a great point because I've seen it more times than not when they decide to move in you know we we say and we joke. But fish aren't very tall, and if the bait fish are present and there's something up there that they want, just given the predatory instinct and the nature of bass, you can catch, you know, just some quality, quality fish out of six to ten inches of water. I tell you what, there's a lot of days in the fall if you're getting your bait wet, you're fishing deep enough, and you know, this, you know, just sort of uh, taking it outside the fishing realm. You know, in the fall, you've just got a lot going on. You got the trees turning; it's beautiful. The animals are active. You know, they're like the bass; they're out there stocking up and the, the old bucks are in a rut so you're more likely to see one of them in the middle of the day and if you're up there fishing against the bank that's just a bonus absolutely and the, and the wildlife and just the scenery and and we talk a lot about focus of being in the moment of just what rick clun refers to of, of being kind of in the zone you know and when you find that that's one of the great things about fishing is is when you're looking around and seeing your surroundings and really being in tune with what's happening right there you know uh I'll never forget uh, what Rick always says. You know, if when you get, when you learn, get all your senses going, and you and you learn uh, to to absorb everything that's around you, you'll catch more fish, but you'll be more alive on the water, and that may indeed be the greatest benefit. Exactly. You know, and back to the three categories. Certainly, top water. You know, throwing that that uh, that frog or that buzz bait, or whether it be a chugging bait or a walking bait. You know, taking it a step down from there, if, if you don't get a response, great opportunity. Drop down a little bit in the water column. Maybe try a spinnerbait, a fluke, you know, a floating worm to where it's going a little bit subsurface. If that doesn't work, guess what? Pick up what I like to do. Throw a jig. Throw a soft plastic. And you can still catch those fish. It's just because they're not maybe not responding to a more aggressive bait 
doesn't necessarily mean that the fish aren't there. Well, yes, and you know, one of the challenges in fall is that you, you very often have very rapidly changing conditions. You know, and you have that in the spring, but it, but, but you're progressing in two different directions here. And uh, a lot of times when that cold front comes in in the fall, where that might shut down those spring fish, it might tend to trigger that fall fish because it's telling him, hey, buddy, you better stock up. Winter's coming. Exactly. You better, you better fill the cabinets. And, and if you have some runoff, you know, the cooler temperatures, the oxygen, it's, it's about comfort. You know, there's a reason why that those fish throw in the, the turnover, you know, that we've talked so much about with the oxygen stratification. You start factoring in all those elements, and it could be lights out. And I, but I think the bottom line in fall is that you fish are feeding, they're feeding heavy, they're going to be biting. You may have to do your work a little bit to find them, but once stay you, after. That's right, once you do. I mean, they're going to be there. And speaking of there, we need to take a short break because we have Pam Martin-Wells on hold as we head off to our next interview. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's Tackle System by calling 1-88-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. All right, we are back on the edge and what was to happen actually a few weeks ago, but we didn't have the chance to do that. Uh, we have the pleasure of being joined by the Women's Bass Tour Classic Champion, Pam Martin-Wells. Pam, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Aaron. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, when we originally we were supposed to do this a couple of weeks ago, but uh, I think you were in transit to the Red River, and unfortunately, I think we uh, overestimated the lack of cell phone reception <laughs> down there. So, uh, But anyway, we're so glad for you to be here. And, you know, jumping right into it, uh, before we get into the technique or the specific issues, you know, fishing as a woman or as a competitor, you know, how in the world does that differ from from the, the men? Actually, in fishing, you know, I tell I tell people all the time, there there aren't any barriers. The fish doesn't know if it's a man, woman, old person, young child. That's the beauty of fishing. You know, it's it's non-discriminative sport. Sure. You know, and and so that's like I say, that's the beauty of it. Anybody can go out and enjoy the outdoors and, and fish and, and have a ball. Well, and, you know, and you bring up a good point because it's not fishing, although, you know, popular belief can allude to otherwise. And if you ask competitors, certainly they're going to be a little more uh, leaning towards the competition. of it. But, you know, fishing is one of those sports where it's participatory. And from a recreational standpoint, being a female, you know, has that hindered you getting into the sport or making advancements and learning and educating yourself of how to, to pick up the skill? Actually, no, because, you know, when I first, I was raised fishing. Uh, you know, I need to go way back. My, sure. <laughs> my, my parents and grandparents, you know, have taken us fishing since we were very young. So I fished all my life. Now, to get into actual tournament fishing, you know, I had to do research, read magazines, you know, ask questions, talk to other anglers. But like I say, it's, you know, it doesn't, it, it really doesn't matter that you're male or female because it, it doesn't. You don't have to be able to kick a football 50 yards. Right, right. So, and it doesn't necessarily, although fishing is physically demanding, you know, being yes, able to, to run the trolling motor and, and put up with the elements of the weather and, and the different conditions that you're dealt with, 
bottom line is you don't necessarily have to have some innate, you know, technical skill that, right. like you mentioned, of kicking a football. Right. Yeah. You don't. You don't have to be ten feet tall or or anything like that. You know. Just. You just have to love the outdoors and love to get out and and fish. Yeah. Well, looking at your career, because you've I think been in the sport for several years, right? Twenty-one. Twenty-one years. Well, <laughs> and I'm only twenty-two. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You started at a very early age, yes, right? Uh, you know what has led to your success? You know what makes you a successful fisher person? The drive. Um, a lot of people go out and competitive fishing. They they think, okay, they think I got to compete against Aaron Martin. I'm not doing that. I'm competing against the fish. You know, this is this is a something that has a brain. And and you're one on one with the fish. If I can if I can do my job and outsmart the fish, then you know I'll do well in the tournament. If I start worrying about what Aaron's doing and and what this one's doing and that one's doing, then I'm not doing my job and paying attention to to what's going on with the fish, the the conditions and all that. Well, and likewise, you know, just recreationally, that's the same competition. It's against the fish. You know, you may not be going to the weigh-in, or there might not be any points or trophies that's awarded at the end of the day. But to gain the most from that experience of your day on the water, bottom line, you still have to put the right things in place to be able to have a successful day. That's, you know, that's absolutely correct. And and just, like I say, getting out in the outdoors and, and enjoying all that the good Lord's given us. You know, I've seen things when I've been fishing that, that most people never would have seen, you know, sitting in an office or whatever. Just the other day, I was sitting there and a whole flock of geese came right over the boat. I mean, that's just, you know, things like that are just amazing. And that's what... That's what fishing allows us to see and do. Right, and and by being able to witness that, those are also clues as perhaps to what the fish are doing. You know, when you see wildlife and they're active. That's you know, it really is the 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 wildlife are much better meteorologists than, <laughs> than the humans are. I mean, you know, and 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 they feed according to the barometric pressure and the moon phase and this and that. And you know, a lot of times when I'm fishing, if, if the birds aren't moving, the squirrels aren't moving, a lot of times the fish aren't biting. And just as soon as the birds start singing and the squirrels start chirping, you know, the fish start biting. So you, know, you kind of have to pay attention to a, to a lot of different variables, but but still, it's just amazing. Yeah, and so not only you get to see the enjoyment of, of watching the wildlife, but then you, you kind of use that to your advantage as well. Exactly. Win-win situation, right? Let them teach you. Well, you know, now that... Transferring over into the technique specific, you know, I think it's no secret, obviously, that you love to sight fish in the spring. I live to sight fish. <laughs> and there's just something about, you know, being able to see that fish, you know, whether it's on bed and, and know and watch that fish and how it reacts to the, to the lures. But there's something that you brought up that is just only been touched on. It's only, I know for a fact, within Bass Edge, only been touched on once. And that is sight fishing in the fall. What do you mean by sight fishing in the fall? Well, sight fishing in the fall, uh, a lot of times the fish will get shallow because they're chasing the bait fish shallow. So you're watching for the bait fish. Um, you're looking for, for key structure. You know, you may be looking for rocks. You may be looking for stumps. And, and by this, I mean stuff that's submerged. So, you know, if you've got a good pair of sunglasses, polarized glasses, or, or whatever, that you can actually see these things, then that helps you key in on certain areas that someone else might overlook. And, you know, whenever you're doing that, you know, and to define it a little more clearly, whenever you say fall, because obviously we have four seasons, so therefore that's the easy part of it, but what do you use to actually define that seasonal the pattern that we're in? 
I mean, is it water temperature? Is it, you know, just a, a month? You pick a day and say, okay, now we're getting into the fall. I mean, how does that work? Actually, I wish it was as easy as picking <laughs> a month. But, you know, the, our, our weather these days seems so crazy, but it's actually triggered by a water temperature drop. That that triggers the fish to, to know that, that wintertime's coming, hard times are fixing to come. So actually what they do is they start feeding up to kind of get fat and sassy, in other words, for the winter. They, you know, feed up really heavily. So that carries them through the winter. So the key thing is is water temperature drop. Okay, and you know right now we're you know we're really into uh, almost into November here, and you know different parts of the country, uh, depending on if you're north versus south, east versus west, you know that that temperature is different. Do areas down in the south geographically still have that fall transition and and this that you speak of? Yeah, it's just it may not be as dramatic as say up north. You know, our our fall transition may take place over a a two week period, where up north it may take a month. But that's you know one of the most overlooked things I think by the recreational fishermen is the temperature, and I'm I'm talking the water temperature. You know, if if it gets cold outside, then they say, oh, it's too cold to fish. Well, the water temperature hadn't had time to to cool off yet. Right. Might be cold for the fishermen. <laughs> right. You know, our comfort zone in the air is, is different than the comfort zone in the water. So, you know, I actually had a tournament one time back in the spring when the water temperature was right, but we had a severe cold front come through. It was down in the 30s. Well, I was still catching fish that were spawning because wow. the water temperature hadn't cooled off yet. So can you assign, say, a range of degrees, you know, with well, the ideal water temperature that you're looking for for this fall pattern as well as the fall sight fishing situation? You know, I'm sure there's a certain range, but it, it like you said, it varies throughout the country, you know, um, because our normal temperature, water temperature in the summertime in the south can be 95, 96 degrees. So I pretty much look for like a 10 degree drop. Okay. And that's, you know, that starts to trigger them. So, and then that's something that you can take regardless of where you're at in the country and say, you know, if it's that 8 to 10 degree range off of normal summer uh, summer averages, exactly. then you know that that is right on the heels of getting ready to explode. That's correct. You know, a, a biologist or, or someone else might tell you the optimum is 65 degrees. Right. Say. Let the fish tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that depends on the lake. You just have to get out there and it's, you know, a lot of trial and error, but... That's that's the key thing to look for, and that that kind of keys you in to start your migration along with the fish, and then you can eliminate water from there. So hypothetically speaking, let's say that, that we're in with um, within that range. You know, what areas as well as what baits are we going to look for? You know, to be able to put the the fall sight fishing patterns in place. Okay, well, you know, in the fall, the, the shad and stuff will actually migrate into the backs of the pockets and the backs of the creeks. Very similar to what they do in the spring. and So it's just in reverse. Pretty much. And therefore, the largemouth will follow them. You know, that, that's a perfect time of the year to throw topwater, throw crankbaits, anything along that line. But you have to pay attention to the shad in the area. You know, they may be, if you're up north, they may be inch-long shad. We're down south, they may be four-inch. So, you know, you just kind of have to pay attention to the forage. But... And then but, do you use that information? Are you trying to match your bait with that? Yes, yes. That's, you know, that's that's very critical because, you know, if, if you were going to go out and eat a steak, you wouldn't go down and sit sit down to a whole roast. Right. You know, basically. So, you know, if, if the shad are 
two inches, then you want to try to throw a top order or a crankbait that's along that line, or a spinnerbait that's along that line. If they're larger, then you'll want to throw the larger baits. And, and is that in, do you feel that that produces more fish, or bigger fish, or both by matching the hatch? I think it, it both, because that, that ups your percentage to be able to catch fish. It, in other words, it's going to match you with what they're naturally feeding on exactly. already. Because if you know if you were throwing something that was unnatural to them, you might catch a fish here or there, but consistently, and the numbers are going to come when you get everything right. Which, if if that's the only day that you got off your vacation to be able to do that, you certainly want numbers and size certainly matters, right? That's correct. <laughs> Although they're all fun. <laughs> uh, well, now now taking that into uh, you know the next level, you've identified okay the baits. We obviously know that we want to to match the size of the bait fish, whether that be through a spinnerbait, crankbait. Um, now the targets. What areas we've we've went into the backs of these creeks? We've identified that the shad are present. Specifically, you know, breaking it down from grass lakes to non-grass to structure, all those type of things. What are you looking for there? Basically, what I'm looking for is I look I look for anything different. I look for a point, a pocket. You know, a lot of times they'll relate mainly to points. And, and so that's kind of your starting point then. That's that's what you feel is a high percentage target area. Right. And when I say points, you know, that's it's it doesn't vary. Okay. It's all relative. A point a point is a point, whether it's a point of grass, a point of trees, a point of rocks. So See, it's more the topography then. And right. it has less to do with the structure that's per se on that. That's that's one of the biggest things I try to you know, when I'm talking to people about fishing, if they're from up north, it's all relative. A bass really doesn't know if he lives in Michigan or if he lives in Florida. All he knows how to do is relate to the structure at hand, whether it's grass or rocks or trees. And they're all going to relate to the structure they have in the same manner. So whenever you identify this point, regardless of structure, will you start out with something that is going to be higher in the, in the, the, the water column? You know, like a top water or a, a crankbait or something like that, or are you going to go more of the bottom focused approach first? You know, there again, that depend that depends on the bait fish. You know, if you're seeing a lot of shad activity on the surface, then of course you'd want to start with something on the surface. If if you know they're present, say you can see them on the depth finder, but they're not on the surface, then you want to work your way down the water column until you find the area that they're comfortable in. But usually in the fall, every most normally, everything will be kind of gravitating kind of shallow. Okay. So you want to mainly look to the shallows first. Right. For the best result. Um, what about as far as color? You know, you hear, you go into any sporting goods store, whether it be local or a national chain, and you look at the shells, and it's it's quite intimidating as far as not only just the sheer number of baits and the different companies that manufacture those, but also color. I mean, give us some help on how to, you know, narrow that down. Well, you know, I, I hate to sound repetitive, but there again, it depends on the forage. If they're feeding on crawfish, and you want to you want to match it to crawfish colored baits. If it's so shad, more the oranges and the reds. Right. If okay. It's, if it's shad, then the more silvers with blue and stuff like that. When it's overcast, you'll want to throw something that's got a little chartreuse in it, something that gives a contrast that they can see. As far as plastics are concerned, I tell everybody it doesn't matter as long as it's what you've got confidence in. Because if I tell you to throw a watermelon lizard and you've got confidence in a pink, purple, polka-dotted lizard, you're going to catch more on yours than you will on mine just because it's in your heat. Well, and let's go there for a second. You know, talking about confidence, I mean, regardless, again, if you're recreational or tournament, 
how important is that confidence factor in, in your day on the water? Oh, it's, it's extremely important. I mean, if, you know, if you go out there with the mindset, oh, I'm not going to catch nothing, then that's exactly what you're going to catch because you're not going to put your all into it. You're not going you're not going to try to think ahead of the game. Okay, there's there's shad over there. It's this size. I need to throw this. You're just going to go, okay, we're not going to catch nothing. But if I go out there and I know in my head I'm going to catch something, if the situation gets difficult, then, you know, I can sit down and analyze it. And I know I'm going to catch fish. I just got to figure out what it is they're biting. Well, and, you know, here on The Edge as well as through Bass Edge TV, we spend a lot of time with, with Dr. Jay McNamara through his book, The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing. What are some of the things that you do personally to, you know, because not every day is an easy day. You know, it's easy to go out there and, and almost put yourself in a self-defeated, you know, from the, from the word go. At the moment you arrive at the boat ramp, how do you change, you know, that, that stream of thoughts or confidence factor, I guess, if you will? You know, you just, you have to have confidence in your ability. Um, there's a lot of times I get out there and get down and, you know, I just have to kind of sit down, stop fishing for a minute and, and regroup because you can, you can ruin your whole fishing day through your mind before you ever cast a lure. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have your mind into it, then you might as well stay at home. So essentially you just kind of pause and regroup and yet focus on the things that you can control and kind of let go of the things that you can't. Exactly, because there are, you know, there are so many variables that you can't control. You get out there and the wind starts blowing or the clouds come in or the sun comes out or, or whatever. So, you know, those kind of things you can't control. You just got to make minor adjustments and, and do what it takes to fish under those conditions. Well, you know, here in our last closing minute, the, the fortunate thing is you and I are going to be actually be able to spend some time on the water in 2008 on Percy Priest, a lake of which I have never been to. I don't know if you've had much experience there. I fished there one time, and I, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. I know it's a beautiful lake, and I can't wait to get there. Well, uh, you know, I don't even know what to expect, and probably it's been so long since you've been there. It sounds like it's going to be one of those deals where we're going to have to put our heads together and uh, probably have a lot of rods laying on the on the deck, huh? <laughs> It'll be one of those challenges, but, you know, that's that's the beauty of fishing. You know, we'll have to get out there and kind of work it minute by minute and see what the bait fish tells us, the weather tells us, and and see what we can put together. Well, Pam, I'm certainly looking forward to that. Unfortunately, we are out of time, but, you know, thank you so much for being part of The Edge. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, Steve, with that interview with Pam Martin-Wells, it was, it was very, very unique to be in that situation to get to hear from the, the women's professional bass tour champion. Oh, it, it was. And, you know, the, the times they are changing. It, it, for, for a guy my age to uh, to stand there just so focused on trying to soak in all I can from a lady angler, it's a little bit different than when I first came along. Well, and for her to be in it 21 years and, and just given the expertise that she brings, I mean, it's it's a real treat as anglers, like long-term anglers like ourselves, you know, be able to listen to that. But one of the things that she brought up, you know, talking about fall and the seasons changing, you know, when I think of that, Fish don't have a calendar. You know, they don't, they, they can feel, uh, you know, that the water temperature is changing. Uh, yes, that helps trigger some things. But bottom line is they have to depend on nature, you know, to, to give them that indication. Well, there's a couple of things going, along, going on there. You know, we've got the, the length of the day, which uh, our scientists call photo period. But, uh, you know, it's not only cooling the, uh, the, the fall temperatures are not only cooling the air, but the length of the day, the amount of sunshine on the water, the water is cooling, it's changing. Plus, also, you know, fish don't have a, uh, 
uh, a clock or a calendar. Uh, they use these changing days, the shorter days, as a timing mechanism to know that it's time to get ready for the winter. Well, and, you know, as the editor for Bass Edge, you get to spend a lot of time, you know, with a lot of different anglers. And I think I, I think you just did a story that's coming out this week that, that's on this very subject. Well, you know, I talked to Edwin Evers last week, and we talked about fall fishing, and he and he talked about how uh, how important photo period was in his fishing. And you know, uh, our days start getting shorter as of June twenty first. So he he starts finding that he starts seeing fall movement even in August, even as far south as his native Oklahoma. Well, and, and looking at that, I mean, and that what a great example because it, it, it's science. I mean, it, it, that is exactly what is happening, that the days are getting shorter. Yes, you may only notice a very, very subtle change, but how many times have you went out and it's the subtle adjustments that you make that are, you're able to keep up with what those fish are doing? Well, you know, for, for a lot of anglers, late summer's been a hard time to fish. It's just, you know... August, September, man, it can be tough on this lake in September, you hear. But it's not necessarily because the fish aren't hitting. It's just because they've moved off those summer patterns and sometime the angler hadn't been quick enough to follow them. Exactly. And, and you know, it's just like you, you talk about the, the, the less light or this photo period, to put it in scientific terms. You know, when you get into midwinter and, you know, the snow has been beating down depending upon what part of the country that you're from. But... You ever notice that first day of spring? Just look at human beings and, and the activity and, and the, just this flurry of things that take place when you get that first nice day. Well, exactly. Just look at, like you said, look outside the porch on that first day. Uh, you know, photo period is, is one of the factors. There's so many in fishing, but it's an important factor to pay attention to throughout the whole year. It affects fish. It affects wildlife. It also affects humans. <laughs> you know? It affects, sure it does. I mean... Look at all the, the depression that happens in the winter. And, exactly. You know, let's face it, people are in a good mood in, in, in spring when the days are, are lengthening and the summer when they've got long days. And it's no it's no different with fishing. Oh, no, it's not. Uh, the fish, you know, the fish are, are typically always going to be fishing, but, I mean, fish are always going to be feeding. Right. But, uh, uh, but sometimes that photo period, along with a, a, a whole range of other uh, factors, uh, can help you zero in. Yeah, you know, and, and just, just a great interview, and we certainly appreciate Pam's time. Well, we need to take one more short break before we head off to do the that uh, favorite section of Dan's, as, as he says, that, that product giveaway and listener email. Yeah, I'm going to be listening for it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to be listening close. We'll be back right after this. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140, and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Hello, and we are back on the edge, and it is time for what we are going to, I think, have to deem the sub-segment, the Outdoor Dan product giveaway, because he's so <laughs> infatuated with this. But, uh, you know, we have a, a, a lucky winner this week who is Jared from Pensacola, Florida, uh, who sent in his email and got entered into that drawing. But uh, he wants something something very near and dear, certainly to my heart, and that is the book by Dr. Jay McNamara, The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing. 
Well, you know, we're out we're out here in the, in the field right now, and it's actually the first time that I've spent significant amount of water since I read Jay's book. And of course, uh, it's a you know it's a it's a great read. It's 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 so much information. But once you get out in the water and you start to apply it, you really realize what a great what a great writing that is. It didn't influence the fact that you know you met with uh, Boyd Duckett, you know, who won the Bassmaster Class, won over a million dollars this year, and then also Pam Martin Wells. I mean. It, they take that to a whole new level. I tell you, well, they do, you know, and you hear a lot of what they say echoed right out of Jay's book, and uh, it's just, it's been a, just an enormous learning experience for me, and I've been doing this a little while myself. Exactly, so it's certainly going to be something that helps give uh, give Jared the edge. Oh, Jared's going to enjoy that, and, and, and Jay, where did Jay learn to write that? <laughs> I don't know. The psychologist. <laughs> Let's hope he's not listening to this, but yeah, you know, he, we, I often kid Jay, he needs to spend a little time with himself, but uh, that's, a, that's an inside bass edge joke. But you, we also have a great question this week, Steve. We've had this question from a couple of readers, and, and, and I find it kind of, uh, I, I'm anxious to hear you answer this, Aaron, because, because it's always been a confusion to me, but how much, our readers want to know how much the current in the lake makes in the way fish bite. Boy, I tell you, you know, it, it just amazes me of how deep that uh, that our listeners and our readers dig because that is a, just a fantastic question. And, you know, all I can pull from it is just personal experience. You know, you go to a fork where you're from, actually, back down at Lake Fork. You know, you throw some current that's, that's moving in Lake Fork, and I'm sure you you remember this all too well, but it will literally shut uh, shut the bite down. You know, yet you go to something like Percy Priest, you know, traditionally you're thinking of current that it's, you know, it's going to basically move the fish out. Well, Percy Priest is one of those lakes to where the fish actually get extremely tight to the bank. But from where I'm actually from, which is going to be the Table Rock, the Lake of the Ozarks, the Midwest area, that current will not only turn the fish on, but you can literally go to the points and current breaks within those reservoirs and you better hang on. As long as you've got like a, a, a deep diving crankbait or a jig, I mean, those fish are ready to eat. Current does make a lot of difference, but it's different in every lake. So you have to learn your lake. You have to learn to adjust to it, but pay attention to it. Well, and, and that's, that's, that's the thing. You know, I, so many times, and it's almost a cliche, you know, you let the fish tell you what to do. Bottom line, how you do that is by eliminating water and eliminating baits, you know, because even in the lakes to where it fires up the fish, and like my earlier example from home lakes that I'm from, one of the times, you know, you may be able, they may be setting it out in 18 foot of water suspended where the, the crankbait is going to be the ticket. Other times they may be holding in that, you know, that 10 foot range, but they're going to be more bottom focused. So make sure that you try all three uh, areas being the shallow, the deep, and then that mid range, and that way you're covering the strike zone. Well, you know, and I think also if you look at fishing, our, our readers that, that, and our anglers that fish in rivers, if you'll pay a lot of attention to structure, during current too. Uh, sometimes current will have a, uh, an effect on how tight they relate to current and that might change how you have to fish. Exactly, exactly. And don't be scared, you know, to, to mix up some colors. And But bottom line, take your confidence bait, go after it, and then work from there because that is ultimately, that's your foundation and that's a great starting point. Yeah, pay attention to your current, learn what the current does to your lake, and adjust. adjust. It sounds like we're just throwing in another uh, complication and another factor here, but it's not that big a deal. But like, like you said, just pay attention to uh, when you catch fish. Keep notes on no when you doubt. caught fish. Yeah, I mean that that is so huge because if you pay attention to when you do have success, that's just as important of remembering 
when you don't because one leads to the other. You know, ultimately, you're either experiencing success or you're not, and that's going to help you get closer to your goal. And it can be real easy to determine. I know somebody out there is asking, well, well, how do I know if there's a current in my lake? If your lake's high, you've probably got a current because they're probably letting water out of the dam. Yeah, well, get on the website. You know, you, if it's a core lake, you can go to the generation schedule, the U.S. Uh, Army Corps of Engineers. Look at the generation schedule. If you have buoys, it's a little thing because sometimes they don't always, even though they put that, it's kind of like the weather schedule. Even though that's written in, it's not written in stone, it's on the website, but they may decide to change their mind based upon what's going on upriver. You never know when that's going to happen. Look at the buoys. Look at, you know, if you're in the back of the pocket and you start noticing leaves and things coming out of the back of the pocket in a non-wind situation. Those are all indicators of, of what's taking place. So, great question. Uh, you know, hopefully that's going to uh, give them a little more information of getting closer to putting that bass in the boat. But we, we need to take our final break. And when we get back, we are going to be visiting again with Emily Schaefer from a, a topic that both you and I feel is very, very important for the continuation of this sport. Yeah, well, she got up on my soapbox on this deal, but no, uh, Emily's doing what we all should do. All right, well, stick with us. We'll be right back after this. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The Tow and Stow Receiver Hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. Well, we're back here on the edge, and this is Steve Brigman, and I'm with Emily Schaefer. Uh, how are you doing, Emily? I'm doing fantastic. How about you? Well, so far, so good. Uh, Emily, I know you've been, this fishing thing, it's not a new deal with you, is it? No, it is not. I've been doing it professionally for 16 years, hunted and fished all my life. Well, uh, you and I had a chance to get out on the water yesterday, and, I, and I, I got to see how good a fisherman you were. And, you know, I learned an awful lot from you yesterday. And, and, and I think in some ways there's, we got some role reversal going on in society. There's just so many more women fishing out there. Why do you think that is? Well, you know, there is a, this is a two-income family now. We don't only pick the colors of the boats. We help pay for them. So when we help pay for them, we get to take them out and fish. Another reason why I think there's a whole lot of that going on is because you know, the fish don't know if we're male or female, and the young girls are seeing that there are women out there that can make a living at it. I never dreamed I'd make a living at it, but it is fantastic to do it. What is it about fishing that's drawing new demographics to, to the sport? You don't have to be a bodybuilder or anything else. I mean, it's not strength or, or anything like that. I mean, you go out, you enjoy the outdoors, you get to, in the springtime, you get to see all the babies and... It's just a great, women find it a great way to spend quality time with their family. And of course, you've taken this a, a good bit further and gotten involved in helping others uh, learn the sport of bass fishing. Can you, what, what motivated you to, to get into the teaching bass fishing? I was so lucky. My family took me fishing. When I remember the first time I went fishing, I was five years old. My dad was working. My, bro, my mom took my brother and I. We were, I was catching brim. We were catching, well, I say we, my brother got very upset that he wasn't catching brim and threw his rod and reel in the water. And I didn't know what was going on. Mama whipped him and he had to go get it. So that kind of got me some competition in my blood. Yeah. I was just, that was great. That was hilarious. 
but I've been blessed that my family took me fishing, and I'm finding out that there's a lot of women out there that haven't had that opportunity. I started teaching a class 10 years ago, single mothers as real teachers, but we opened it up to any fishing challenge female because it wasn't fair to just be teaching single mothers. Well, well talk to me about those classes. Where do you start? I, I teach the basics. I teach them the rod and reels, I because you really only have to learn three rods and reels in this sport, or three reels in this sport, your spin cast, your spinning reel, and your bait casting. So I teach the basics, and then I'll, I've got to tell you this story. A couple of years ago, I was in Walmart, and I, was, I always have to go to the sporting good aisle, see if there's any good sales. And all of a sudden, this little girl put her arm around my leg, and I didn't know. I put my hands up because I wasn't touching this child. I didn't know whose child it was. And I looked over, and I saw her mom, and she looked up at me and said, Thank you for teaching my mom fishing. I caught one. Oh, man, that's great. That's better than anything Walmart's got for sale. If I could bottle that and sell it, I'd be a millionaire. Well, is there something, especially in your classes, that seems to light up, turn on the light bulb? To... When they catch their first fish. My classes consist of two hours of classroom, and then the rest of the time we spend fishing. And you can tell when they get it in their blood. When they catch the fish, they're hooked. Do you stay in touch with some of your students? Yes, I do. It's so neat. Well, talk to me about uh, getting started. Let, let's talk about, you know, we've got, we, we're, we're here talking about women fishing, but really, we need to be also talking about getting children, uh, people, and, and other just adults who don't have the opportunity. Maybe people that live in the big city and don't get chances. Uh, how important is it is it to us as anglers to to sort of uh, take on this stewardship of trying to bring people into the sport. I think it's very important, and you don't have to go into bankruptcy to become a fisherman. You know, you can go get your first rod and reel and go out there. The beauty of Tennessee is there's so many anglers, there's so many um, tournament anglers that that's what they do. They We're looking to take people. I mean, just think if all of us took one person, you know, how that is. And fishing, there's no age limit. Um, women can do it, children can do it, and that's what I'm doing through my classes with the women and stuff like that. And like I said, with the competition or the, the it getting it in their blood, I've seen little girls get it in their blood. And so all the women anglers that are out there were mentors, and the children in the future is our that's our marketing. I mean, we who who are we gonna sell boats to, rods and reels and all that to if we don't start getting the children involved, and being outdoors, I mean, if the child gets bored, they can pick up crickets and put on their hooks. They can pick up worms. It's not a video game. They're not sitting in front of the box. That's what I love. They're outside of the box. The, the, the TV is not their babysitter. The outdoors is. So by getting in the outdoors and getting out there and getting them fishing, it, it's just beautiful. I'm sure that you've taken a lot of these ladies on their first fishing trip. How does that work? I mean, how does what's a good way to... Uh, take people fishing. I know that you and I might go out and we may hit it from uh, daylight till dark. But uh, the new the, the new anglers that is that an approach you take? I take them brim fishing first. You can't take them bass fishing first. I mean that's just you know bass fishing's a little bit more entailed. I mean you might not get a bite for a while bass fishing, but usually with brim you can catch them pretty quick. And uh, like I said a minute ago, as far as the kids go, you know if they get bored, it's okay. They can play with the the crickets and the worms and stuff like that as far as the women go um like brim panfish any type of panfish is the way to go to, is the way to start out 
in the basic part and then they'll get hooked and then you can present the bass fishing and although if you live in i think you've done a lot of saltwater fishing you know as well as i yes, do saltwater fishing you never know what you're going to catch <laughs> so but i don't live close enough to take them saltwater fishing you spoke a minute about your your home state here at tennessee but uh you know i think one thing that, that i think i see happening out there is that throughout the country we're not only spreading this sport uh to, to women and and uh minorities and children but i think it's sort of spreading regionally so uh, this person that does live in New York or Chicago, they're probably going to be able to find someone to help them out fishing. I think there's groups everywhere that are fishing. And just look around at your wherever you live. Just kind of check around. And you know there's a dock or somewhere in, a, in an area where you can hook up with somebody that will be glad to take you fishing. Well, you know, and I, I know somebody somewhere is going to hear this and they're not going to immediately identify someone like yourself or a class like yourself. But really, just going out fishing on your own is not a difficult thing. It's not a difficult thing, but if you hook up with somebody that's already done it, they can speed you up so you might, I mean, they can teach you how to hook, tie the hook and cast and stuff like that that'll speed you up instead of you being hung in a tree or get you thinking that you've tied the hook on correctly, you get a fish on and it comes off because you might not have been using the right hook and stuff like that. So. And of course, as uh, you know, we've just, got a, we've just got a second here, but I do want to get in the, the idea of equipment. I know that uh, getting started in this might seem a little daunting expense-wise, but you, you don't really need a whole lot of gear to go fishing. You do not need a whole lot of gear. I know when I walk into Bass Pro Shop, if I was the first time person walking in there for the first time, it's just unbelievable how mesmerizing that place can be. There's just way too many things. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes those trips, boy, the, the, the old tackle counter can uh, really make you want to go out fishing. Well, Emily, th thanks so much for taking a little time to be with us here on the Edge. Uh, I just really enjoyed our visit. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it. Well, Steve, I must say, you know, certainly it's no secret that that definitely struck a nerve with both you and I as far as introducing people into the sport. Yeah, she, she's kind of climbing up on our soapbox. I, I just feel it's just absolutely incumbent uh, on all of us as anglers to, to get involved in getting other people involved. You know, no question. And when I think back of, of the introduction that I was fortunate enough to have into the sport, you know, we use the what I call the reel and the can scenario to where you have, you know, it's a, it's a very cheap uh, rod and reel, but you take a hook and a bobber and get you a can of worms and head to the pond or the local stream or city lake, very easy, accessible, spend a couple hours. What, there's you know, there's not much of a better way to, to get people hooked on the sport oh, fishing. Oh, absolutely not. For me, it was a box of shrimp and salt water and right. standing on the rocks. And, you know, it just led to an absolute, uh, you know, love for fishing but not that's really just part of it it's a love for the outdoors a love for nature a love for the environment uh this is important stuff well and you know one of the the, the questions i get asked a lot of, especially by neighbors when they start seeing you you know hauling out to, to go uh go to the lake with the boat is you know why do you like the sport of fishing so much and, and that's just a perfect opportunity a lot of times it, it's something that's hard to put into words however you put them in the boat with this being a participatory sport you know that is really where they get the boat yeah, they ask you, why do you want to go fishing? Well, how long you got? You right, know, exactly. You know, why do I like chocolate? Break off a piece, hand it to them, and say, there you go. Uh, it's just a, uh, a multi-sensory uh, experience. Uh, there's just, there's a hundred good things about fishing. No question. And, and I'm, you know, we're, we really are preaching to the choir as far as that is concerned. But what a better source to hear back from, you know, really from our listeners and our readers of some of the things and the creativeness that they put into place 
about getting people introduced to the sport. Yes, I'm so proud of, of people like Emily who take it upon themselves to bring many, many people into the sport. But, you know, that's something we can all do. Absolutely. You know, and, and we would love to hear from you. If you have the opportunity, shoot us an email at BassEdge.com and uh, let us know some of, the, some of the neat things that you have going on out there so that we can share that with, with the rest of the Bass Edge family and really take this to a whole new level. Some of the best fishing stories are my first trip stories, and I'd like to hear some of those. No question, listeners. no question. And, you know, the unfortunate thing is because this is certainly something that you and I could continue to talk on uh, for a long period of time, but can you believe that another hour has passed us by? Oh, man, time flies when you're having fun. You know, it really does, but the fortunate thing is we're right back here next week with some more great interviews, uh, again, some more great questions and product giveaways. I'm looking forward to it, my friend. Well, Steve, you know, I certainly appreciate you being here with us. You know, it's always a treat to get uh, get a new perspective here on the edge. But in the meantime, be sure to visit us at BassEdge.com, and we'll see you next week right here on the edge. This week's edition of Bass Edges, The Edge, has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Cook's Tackle Management System, Locker Bar Boat Security Systems, and MegaWare Keel Guard. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com.